0: Thanks so much, Livy. Uh, Good evening, everyone at Unichurch. My name's Andrew. It's really good to be with you tonight. Uh, Well done for finding us down here in the bunker in OGGB 3. Usually we're upstairs in the Fisher & Paykel building. So um, yeah, hope to see you there next Sunday. We'll be back there. Look, want to add my welcome to Austin's. If we've not met before, um, yeah, welcome to Unichurch. Hope you have a good night with us tonight. Uh, Like Austin said, we're here at Unichurch. We're people who just love trying to dig into God's Word and understand what it says. And that passage that Livy just read for us, so well, uh, really has got some stuff to say to us tonight. And so why don't you join me as we pray to our God that he would help us to understand that. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for giving us your word, and we ask that you would help us this evening uh, to see what it has to say to us. Give us the wisdom to know how to apply it to our lives, and give us the strength to be able to do what it says through your spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're living in interesting times, yeah? We're living through an epidemic. There is a disease that is raging through our cities and our country. It's contagious and harmful. Some would even go as far to say that it is deadly. It's a serious condition. And my fear is is that one of us here tonight has caught it. I'm not talking about COVID-19. I'm not talking about Delta or Omicron even. This epidemic is one of overconsumption, debt, and stress. They call it affluenza. In a 2005 book by an Australian called Clive Hamilton, he defines affluenza as a painful, contagiously socially transmitted condition of overload, debt, anxiety, and waste, resulting from the dogged pursuit Of more. Affluenza has become endemic to first-world countries where people spend money they don't have to buy goods that they don't need to impress people that they don't even like. Did you know that as of August last year the average personal debt here in Auckland was over thirty four thousand dollars. That's thirty four thousand dollars worth of either credit cards or car loans or personal loans that the average Aucklander is walking around in that much debt. Friends, we're spending beyond our means. And for Hamilton, he believes that affluenza is responsible for a raft of psychological disorders, feelings of alienation and distress amongst our societies, amongst our communities. But affluenza, it's, it's not a physical or a biological sickness. It's a function of our greed, of our sin. It's a spiritual problem, and it's not a new thing at all. And tonight, as we think through this passage, Jesus is trying to prepare his disciples for life in his kingdom, how to live with a kingdom focus. You see, how we relate to the stuff of this world has significant importance for us as we understand what it means to live in Jesus' kingdom. And so tonight, Jesus wants to show us what a kingdom focus looks like. Now, if you've got one of those fancy outlines in front of you, you'll be seeing that there's not much written there. So let me give you two headings to put on one page and then on the other. Uh, First heading, wealth. Second heading, worry. Wealth and worry. Now, for a bit of context, uh, if you've been following with us, we're, we're in this section in Matthew's Gospel, which is traditionally called the Sermon on the Mount. It's where Jesus is chatting to his disciples, and he's trying to show them uh, what this picture of living in the kingdom looks like. And he's talking about or referencing a bunch of dudes called the Pharisees. Now, you may know a little bit about the Pharisees, but for now, let's just think about the Pharisees as a little bit like us, right? Like us, they have been helped along by their religion, and they're well-educated, hard-working. They've been following God's good ways that's led them to success in this world. But for the Pharisees, that also came with temptation. It's the same temptation that we face. It's it's the temptation to this affluenza. (laughs) Temptation to love and long for the stuff of this world as if it's going to fix up your life. And so we're going to dive into that first section, that heading I said of wealth, and we're going to think about and and think through the three contrasting pictures that Jesus gives us. So under wealth, we've got two treasures, two eyes, and two masters. So let me think through with you about two treasures Now, back in those days, uh, when you had something of value, a treasure, let's say, you didn't take it to the bank. There was no kind of term deposits or whatever. You would store it up, you would put it in places. You remember, um, or you may remember, the rich fool who wanted to build more bigger barns. Why? To store more stuff. (laughs) And so when we get to chapter 6, verse 19, we need to see this in its context. Jesus says, Don't store up. For yourself treasures on Earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves don't break in and steal. Now, Jesus is trying to show his disciples that the point here is that worldly wealth is fleeting. It doesn't last. Now, some of you will know that, that I've come from a marine shipping background, uh, a place where you put steel ships in salt water. <laughs> and let me tell you, if you don't do physics, that equals corrosion. There's a lot of rust. <laughs> and so the aim of my job was basically to prevent the ship from falling apart due to rust. We would go around looking for rust spots, we'd try and identify them, uh, eliminate them where we could, we'd try and cover them up with paint as best as we could, and really, all we're doing from the moment a ship is launched until it finally arrives at a graveyard site is a constant battle against rust, and that's true with all material possessions, isn't it? They they deteriorate; they all eventually break down. And you know what? We're even subject to this within the uh, the industry itself. Big. Big tech, big brands, they all do this thing called planned obsolescence. They're expecting your device to only last a certain amount of time, and then they want you to buy another one, and another one, and another one, and I just brought a new MacBook. (laughs) Jesus is saying here we need to keep our focus. Focus on the heavenly treasure rather than the worldly possessions. Focus on the goals and activities that actually hold eternal significance rather than the fleeting, momentary things of this earth. Because in verse 21, he says that your entire life will become dominated by what you seek and treasure. And that leads us into the next subheading, two Eyes." Jesus takes a, 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 photo, photo, a photography illustration here. Um, not, not really, but let me explain what I'm talking about. Some of you may be into photography. Anyone here got a like DSLR, know what you're doing with it? Yeah, great. Thanks, Michael. Uh, Look, I think a helpful illustration to understand what's going on here is to think about photography because the aperture is what refers to the amount of light that's let into a camera body. And I think this is really helpful when we get to verse 22 because Jesus says the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Just like a camera aperture lets light into its camera body, Jesus is painting a picture of how important it is that how we see this world. Because our eyes, well, they show us what we're living for. What we look at will show us what we're living for. And if we're focused on the things of this world, then Jesus tells us that our whole body will be full of darkness. But as Christians, we're to focus in on all that is true, all that is noble, that is pure, all that it is spoken well of, all that is praiseworthy, Paul tells us in Philippians. And so tonight, we want to ask the question, what is it that you're looking for? What are you seeking after? What is it that captures your attention? Clive Hamilton says that as a society that's surrounded by affluence, we indulge in the illusion that we are deprived. We indulge in the illusion that we are deprived. You see, uh, we go around this world thinking, oh, I just, I just need that. If I only had that, life would be better. It's an illusion that, means that, that leads to us thinking that we're deprived. And Jesus is saying, no, no, fix your eyes on the heavenly treasure, not the earthly treasure. Next up, he, he talks through what it looks like about having two masters. He says, no one can serve two masters, verse 24 since either he will hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. What's on focus here is this picture of a slave-master relationship. And back in those days, uh, slaves were owned by masters. This is not kind of like our modern-day equivalent that we sometimes do the jump to, where we're like, oh, I'm owned by my employer. <laughs> They're like, they own me. Uh, It's not like that at all. Back in those days, you can only have one master. Today, we think about our employer as like, oh, well, I could hold down two jobs. I'll do three days here, two days there, that kind of thing. That's not the case. It doesn't equate in the Old Testament, uh, in the first century. And here's the thing, right? We often think of God as our employer rather than our master, don't we? We often think of God as our employer instead of God as our master. And the thing that Jesus is trying to point out here is that we ought to have a loyal love for our master, for our King Jesus. I don 't know about you guys, but I like to uh, follow rugby've been a, uh, I was born here in New Zealand, so naturally I follow the All Blacks, um, but you know a bunch of us might follow more local teams, there might even be some, some small NRL fans in the room who uh, occasionally watch, watch some NRL. Uh, you, you can't support more than one team, can you? That would be disloyal. You know, if Josiah started supporting any other team, we would be worried for him. But, but you see, material possessions, the wealth, they're not in and of themselves bad. In fact, they can actually be potentially used for good. What Jesus is warning his disciples about is the seductive power of material wealth. He's wanting them to make sure that they understand that This is this can be dangerous. What is your attitude to money? Because the more money matters to you, the unhappier you'll be. The more money matters to you, the unhappier you'll be. Paul says this to Timothy, he says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have even wandered away from the faith. Friends, this is a serious issue. Jesus wants us to wake up to snap out of it to focus in on what he has to say. I wonder what it is for you. What's your perspective on material things? Does does your love for stuff demonstrate a love for God or a love for money? Does does the value and significance you place in possessions does it communicate a loyalty to God or a loyalty to money? You know, if you have something that's causing you to treasure the things on earth over God, then you ought to throw it out. (laughs) Because materialism is one of the greatest competitors with God for human allegiance. Materialism is one of the greatest competitors with God for human allegiance. And that's what Jesus is challenging his disciples to think about. That's what Jesus is challenging us to think about. Because you cannot serve God and money. But you can serve God with money. How is it that you, you think about others when you are given money? Uh, what does it look like to think of others first when you think about your money? What does it look like to think about how you could give away money that you've got? To, to not store up material possessions here on earth, but to treasure the things of heaven, to live for God's kingdom not for this world. Friends, if you're a regular here at UniChurch, I want to encourage you that actually one of the great ways that you can invest or store up treasure in heaven is actually to be supporting your local church. There are plenty of avenues for Christian financial generosity, but none of them should come at the expense of your local church. The family that you belong to, that you serve alongside, the family through whom you seek to proclaim the gospel to others through. Because here's the thing, right? This mentality, which um, we promise kind of a certain percentage to God and then assume that we're free to do with the rest whatever we like, I think that's a little bit misguided. I think it's actually seriously misguided. This idea that we give 10% to God and we have kind of um, 90% left to do with whatever we like. No, no, we need to rediscover this idea, this sense of whole life stewardship. We need, to shift from, uh, uh, we need to shift beyond what we give away and consider with kingdom clarity how we spend even what we keep. And if you're a regular here at Uni Church and you're in a Connect group, you're going to think a little bit more about that this week in your groups, about how that's going to apply to your situation. Well, having a kingdom focus uh, and an understanding on wealth, it's going to help us to have a kingdom focus when it comes to worry. And and that's what I want us to focus in on a little bit. If you've got a little bit of space left on that left-hand page, you might want to put a title there called, Therefore. What's the therefore, therefore? (laughs) I think this is really important for us to see. It's important for us to see that wealth and worry, they're not disconnected ideas for Jesus. That word at the start of verse 25, therefore, it builds out a logical implication of what it looks like to serve God rather than money. And you know, this is actually backed up by research today. Affluent countries such as New Zealand and Australia, they've got a higher prevalence of anxiety. Put simply, wealthy countries are more anxious than poorer countries. And so there appears to be some sort of correlation between the wealth that we possess possess, and the worry that we experience. Now stop and think with me for a moment. Isn't that ironic? That we live in a time where there are better living conditions than practically anyone, anywhere, at any other point in history. We have better food, better clothing, better housing. We have a safer um, community, potentially. We we have better health care. We even live longer (laughs) And yet, as a society here in the West, we're characterized by a constant anxiety. And it's increasing. As our living standards go up, so too does our worry increase. We're a people who are anxious and scared. We're anxious and we're, we're stressed as well. And the question is why? The Bible's answer is that It's because we're slaves to the wrong master. We're slaves to materialism, to wealth, instead of the master of our souls. That if we truly trust God, we've actually got nothing to worry about. That kingdom citizens who live with a kingdom focus ought to trust their king. And so let's now take a look at what Jesus has to say about worry and why his people can even dare to be free from this worry. Three times Jesus is going to use this expression, don't worry about dot, dot, dot. The first one, he says in verse 25, don't worry about your life. He says, friends, there is more to life. We're not just physical beings like machines that are programmed to live 80 years and then die. No, we're made in the image of God for relationship with a relational God. We're made to be part of his kingdom. That's a, that's a profound and magnificent reason for existence, don't you think? And yet if your focus in life is on this world, Jesus is saying that you're missing out on what's most important. You're missing out on the very meaning and purpose of your life. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, verse 25. What you'll eat or what you'll drink or about your body, what you'll wear, isn't life more than food? And isn't the body more than clothing? There is more to life, Jesus says. And he's going to illustrate the fact that there's more to life, that we're more valuable, more precious than life, by giving three illustrations. Now, if you are one of these note-takers and you like having things that are all in order, uh, let, me, let me categorize them under three words that all start with the letter F. Uh, fauna, the birds. Uh, secondly, futility. Uh, And thirdly, uh, flora or flowers. That works as well. Three illustrations that I think help us to understand what it means to know that there is more to life. Verse 26, he says, Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? This is a common way of argument. It's a logical argument that works from the lesser to the greater. If God cares so much for the birds, how much more would he care for the people that bear his own image? Secondly, futility. Verse 27, can any of you add one moment to his life, lifespan by worrying? Jesus is saying that it does no good to worry about your life. Not only does worry fail to recognize God's great love for us, it simply does not work, right? At best, it will accomplish nothing. At worst, it actually, doctors tell us, shortens your life. If you live a life under immense stress and worry, your lifespan is medically, clinically going to be shorter. Don't worry about your life. Third illustration, the flowers. Observe how the wild flowers of the field grow. Verse twenty-eight. They don't labour or spin thread. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't He do much more for you, O oh, you of little faith? Jesus is explaining that even the wild flowers are, are, are clothed in God's splendour. <laughs> He references Solomon as, as someone who is splendorous, this mighty king of Israel in the Old Testament. And yet, if God so closed the grass in the field, won't he do so much for you as well? We have to read these three illustrations and go, yeah, actually, the answer to all of these is yes. <laughs> yes, God will do that. There is more to life. And this is a God who cares for us. Don't worry about your life. Secondly, don't worry about your needs. If you're in God's kingdom, you you have a God as your Father, a God who cares for you, a God who loves you, a Father who knows your needs. And your Father in heaven has your best at heart, regardless of what your earthly Father was like. He's a Father whom you can trust. It's people who are in God's kingdom who have God as their father. They ought to be radically different from the people who don't know God. They ought to be different because they ought to be able to trust their father and stop worrying about the stuff of this world. And so in verse 31, Jesus says, Don't worry. Don't worry, saying that what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. In this illustration, instead of comparing life forms, Jesus is now comparing, drawing a comparison Sorry, between God's people and the people who are not gods. The Gentiles, the pagans, those who don't know God, he's drawing a comparison between two types of people, between those who are part of his kingdom and those who are not. And that's partly, I think, because the anxiety for basic provisions of life was often characterized by these ancient pagan religions. They would practice all sorts of um, uh, kind of rituals and things that placated the, the whimsical deities of the of the day. Those those deities that were so called over different aspects of nature. They would they would do different duties or rituals to them in order to try and appease them to please them. But Jesus is saying that surely those who know the one true and living God ought to act differently. Surely their perspective is that God knows their needs and intends to take care of them, so don't worry. You see, it's the Christian who's freed from the worries of this world and is therefore free to prioritize God's kingdom. Because verse 33, God will provide says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Now, in terms of uh, when will these things be provided for you, that seems to be the big question that uh, Christians have chatted about over the years. When will these things be provided? There have been many Christians, haven't there? both past and present, who have not had this promise of provision necessarily fulfilled in the way that we would expect. They've not had their physical needs met. And so how is it that we're to understand God's provision or perhaps his lack of provision for these people? Jesus is not saying that we can simply sit back and and live kind of happy-go-lucky lives in a sort of optimism where we might treat uh, God as a genie who grants us our every, every wish. No, God is saying, don't, don't be passive. Don't come to Jesus and Christianity and think everything's going to be uh, handed to you on a silver platter like an entitled millennial. No, no. The person who trusts in Jesus, who belongs to a, a local community of believers at a church, who, who works diligently as to the Lord, there's no reason for their, those people, for their practical needs, not to be met in this life. I think God in His kindness surrounds us with community that are able to help one another, right? It may not be everything we want, but in God's kindness, it will be everything we need. Because here's the key. God promises to satisfy our needs, not our greeds. He promises to satisfy our our needs, not our greeds. And and look, there are many stories of this happening even within our church. And and one of the joys of being a pastor is to be uh, in the front row seat, if you like, of seeing acts of generosity done amongst people who call uni church home. Where where food is delivered in a timely manner without even people knowing. Where financial help is given or offered to one another without when things are going um, rough or seem tight. This can be a, generosity, a generous community which really seeks to help spur one another on and in God's kindness provides for their needs. But more than in this life, I think this verse is actually pushing towards the tension that we've been talking about throughout this whole Sermon on the Mount. The tension between the now and the not yet. You see, commentators would suggest that Jesus is saying that all of these things will be provided for you in the life to come. Jesus is saying here that God will give us everything we need in his kingdom. In his kingdom that has started but has not yet been brought to completion. It's in God's kingdom that we'll have everything we need. And guys, we're not going to be disappointed, Jesus says. We're not going to be disappointed when we get to heaven. It's not going to be the case that we're like, oh, you know what? The tie was better at Chomna than in heaven. Right? Or, 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 like, oh no, the, the kicks were way better down on earth. Like, no, we're going to have everything that we need the clothes on our back, the food's going to be better, heaven is going to be epic, almost like Unicorn. <laughs> and so look forward to the heaven, the, the kingdom of heaven that is to come. Don't worry about your life, don't worry about your needs, don't worry about tomorrow. Verse 34. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This verse reminds us that while our focus is on the kingdom of come, on the kingdom to come, we're still going to have and experience different troubles in this life. We'll wake up tomorrow, and something will go wrong. Who knows what it will look like? You might get a flat tire, or or you. Yeah, you may show up to uni and, I don't know, something weird would happen. Your computer doesn't start. You've lost your assignment. We're still going to have to leave this place tonight and to face up to the realities of tomorrow. But it's a tomorrow that God has sustained us for. And it's a tomorrow that God's sure provision will, 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 will help us to get through another day. Jesus is saying here that there's no point worrying about tomorrow, about the things of the future, where you're just going to multiply the worry before they even occur. It's not as if God doesn't know these things are going to happen, nor can he um, not handle them. Our God is a God who can be trusted to deal with whatever comes, when it comes, and we ought to trust him for that. And this is where I think we un- need to understand the importance of the cross, right? Because Jesus came and died in order to forgive us of our sins. He came to uh, demonstrate for the world that He's a loving God who can be trusted because the, at the cross He completed, uh, uh, sorry, he, 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 he forgave our sins and brought about this kingdom of heaven. It's at the cross that we can find redemption from the disease of influenza, where we can fix our eyes on the certainty of the cross and we can rest in his inaugurating work of the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus wants us to have a kingdom focus. A kingdom focus where the worries of this world will fade into the background, knowing that the God who loves you and cares for you and has good desires for you that you'll live this life with the concerns of his kingdom. Charles Spurgeon uh, has this quote. He says, remember this. Had any other condition been better for you than the one in which you are, divine love would have put you there. Had any other condition been better for you than the one in which you are, divine love would have put you there. What he's saying is that God loves you and knows exactly where you're at in life. If he, if he wanted something better for you right now, he would have put you there. But as it is, he has you here, knowing that you can face tomorrow trusting in him. And if you're someone here tonight who's still thinking through the, the, the claims of Christianity, who Jesus is, what he has to say, I want to invite you to, to, to come and to trust in him, to be a part of his family, to be a part of his kingdom as you understand this heavenly reality, this perspective that brings about a kingdom focus to live for him. I think as we reflect on uh, Clive Hamilton's diagnosis of affluenza, we can agree that it's a very real problem. It's a problem that the physician Jesus knew much about, and it's a problem that Jesus tells us we have a predisposition to lose our focus in. where we we shift our focus and focus in on wealth, where we let worry take grip of us. But today, tonight, Jesus reminds us, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. I'm a trustworthy God who cares for you, and I'm shaping you into kingdom citizens who live with a kingdom focus. And this is gonna profoundly change, right, the way that we see the wealth of this world and therefore how we live this life. And so friends, as disciples living this side of the death and resurrection of our Savior King, we have a sure and confident hope, don't we? And my prayer is that we would be people who live this life with that kingdom focus that the world would see that we are different to those around us. Would you pray that that'd be true for you as well? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are so thankful that you have given us the Lord Jesus. Thank you that in him we can have a very sure and real hope that in his inauguration of the kingdom, we know and can learn what it looks like to live as kingdom citizens. And we ask that tonight you would help us refocus, recalibrate what it looks like to have a perspective on your kingdom that is crystal clear. We ask that you would help us help illuminate areas in our lives where we are not yet living with that clarity, with that focus. And may you grow us to be disciples who demonstrate the love that you've shown us to those around us as we live for the things of heaven rather than things of this world. And we ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, We'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.